Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 38, Sea Slugs in Maine. Anyone who watches the Discovery Channel or Blue Planet or any of the other thousands of documentaries about the ocean is likely well aware of sea slugs, shellless marine gastropods known for their brilliant colors and charismatic swimming abilities. In clear tropical water, these creatures, like many other animals, have bright pigments that may help with camouflage or serve as a visual warning of toxic contents to potential predators, though there's some debate on this. Here in Maine, as is the case with most of our marine life, our nudibranchs tend towards a more conservative coloration, most likely due to the productivity of the water here and the subsequent low level of light penetration, though this doesn't mean they're any less interesting. There are five orders of sea slugs, order just meaning a subgroup of related organisms, in this case, five different groups of sea slugs that are more closely related to each other than they are to other mollusks. According to the Natural History Observatory's species checklist, we have two of them represented on the coast of Maine, the nudibranchs and the sap-sucking sea slugs. The vast majority of Maine sea slugs are nudibranchs, so we'll start there. Nudibranchs can be roughly divided into two subgroups of their own, based on their growth form, dorid nudibranchs and aeolid nudibranchs. You have to have sharp eyes to notice dorid nudibranchs, also called rough nudibranchs, as they often appear as small, nondescript, but firm blobs that have coarse, grainy surfaces firmly attached to hard substrates. You might even wonder if they are plants or animals or something else. We have several species here in Maine, and they range in color from white to pink to brown. Their mantle, a characteristic of all the mollusks, is thick and tough, forming the top surface of the animal. And the foot is the surface that the animal uses to move around on, on the bottom. On the head end of the animal is a pair of rhinophores, projections that hold chemosensory tissue and allow the animal to smell its way to food. Basically, rhinophores are nudibranchs' noses. In many species, the rhinophores look like bunny ears, and there's even one species in the Western Pacific called a sea bunny. Rhinophores can generally be retracted into the mantle cavity, as they look quite worm-like and are victim to being nibbled on by predators. On the other end of the animal are its gills, called the branchial plume, and they encircle the anus. These plumes are typically feathery to enhance the surface area required for sufficient gas exchange, and, like the rhinophores, can be retracted into the body to uh, prevent damage. The dorid nudibranchs have similar mouths to snails and feed on sponges, juvenile barnacles, and encrusting bryozoans, and can use chemical compounds from these prey items, especially the sponges, as a deterrent to their own predators, along with their primary defensive strategy, camouflage. It may be hard to find these well-hidden creatures in tide pools and the nooks and crannies of the intertidal zone, but their egg masses are easily seen in the springtime if you're in an area where any of these nudibranchs are found. Nudibranchs are hermaphroditic, meaning having both sperm and egg-generating organs, and while not self-fertile, when they mate, they generally exchange gametes, so both partners have their eggs fertilized. After mating, they lay their eggs in egg ribbons, thousands of individual eggs embedded in a ribbon of mucus in ruffles or spirals, looking for all the world like egg noodles. We find them all over the bulkhead at the waterfront where I work and even in our flowing seawater tables. When they hatch, they usually live for a time as planktonic larvae um, with a shell 
They usually live for a time as planktonic larvae, with a shell and all, as we talked about in episode 37, though there is variation here by species. The smaller the egg, the longer they live in the plankton, feeding on other plankton. The larger, and thus more well-endowed the egg, the closer they are to, quote, direct development, or hatching directly as a tiny, crawling nudibranch. Next week, we'll talk about that other group of nudibranchs, the aeolids. This has been episode 38 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The show is produced on Wabanaki land. Check out photos of sea slugs on our Instagram. Search at The Essential Rhythm. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist Siddhartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week.